Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy Dunlap from Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined by Hui Huen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Hello, Guy. Hello, Hui. And Sean Walker, creator of Simple Cove. Hello. Hello. <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we do have a Patreon account, and right now we have one level, and we are simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this wonderful podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. So let's get into it. We, you have the first question. So this is from Chris, and he is our one of our UK-based enthusiastic amateurs that listens to our podcast. He says, hi, guys. Thanks for the podcast. Really helpful info. Keep hearing your requests for more questions. So here are a few. And he has two, but I'm going to read the first one. Um, and then maybe on an ep- another episode, we'll, we'll touch on his second one. Uh, I recently bought a combination machine, an iTech C300. It's a huge step up for me. And I'm worried about neglecting something because of my own ignorance. What would you say are requirements for servicing induction motors? Any other tips or tricks for someone who has just upgraded to a serious piece of kit for the first time? While uh, I don't have a combination machine quite like the iTech C300, and by the way, the iTech C300 is, um, it's a, I believe it's like a joiner. It's a, um, a shaper and a sliding table saw. I believe maybe, maybe there's something I'm not familiar with. It. Uh, it, it's a combination machine that, uh, similar to like what maybe Felder might have or mini max or something like that. To be honest, I, none of us, I don't believe any of us have combination machines quite like that. Uh, but I, we all do have induction motors. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, I've never had to do any type of servicing, on my induction motor. And I, and I question what he means by servicing because is he talking about preventative, you know, is Chris talking about preventative maintenance in which case there's not much that I know of that needs to be done other than like, you know, making sure that the belt doesn't have like a kink in it, you know, changing, maybe not changing, but just making sure that the bearings are greased. There's really not much that I know of that you really have to maintain on induction motor. And I've had induction motors on even used pieces of equipment that I've pretty much restored back to full working order, not the induction motor, but the machines themselves like table saw, uh, bandsaw. And of all the things on those used pieces of equipment that I've restored, the motor has been the least of my worries. Now, as far as I know from the uh, new machines that I have and reading the manuals, the maintenance and the servicing and uh, all that stuff, there's a section, you know, like for instance, the Grizzly manual that I looked at recently for my bandsaw, they don't mention anything about uh, preventative maintenance or servicing that's required on the induction motor. If anything, it's it's bearings like on the wheels, cleaning of the brushes that that cleans the cast iron wheels, things like that that sort of need maintaining or servicing. But nothing in particular about induction motor. I think the most important thing when it comes to these induction motors is really to 
listen to your motor, see if pay attention to any sort of out of normal vibrations that might be coming from the motor, which could be anything that pertains to the belt or, or bearings or windings or things like that. But for the most part, I, I want to say they're pretty maintenance free. Am I, am I incorrect in thinking that? Sean, mm. what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm going to steal your thoughts. No, <laughs> in, in my well, nine I, years of I, dealing with induction motors, I mean, I've never, I've never done anything. It's not a topic that I've seen, you know, covered anywhere. And you know, while I'm looking at woodworking videos online or reading, you know, manuals and stuff, it's not something that I've seen covered that has ever come to mind of, Hey, it's time to, to service my induction motors. It's exactly what you covered. And, but again, I'm, I'm no person that works on motors but yeah. from my yeah. you know limited experience with that i've i've not had anything pop up i've not read anything i've not heard of folks doing anything for servicing those the motors unless they break yeah i'm i'm no expert on it either but uh, all i can tell you is that i've never ever ever had to do any service work on an induction motor i had a fan blade break once because the, the, they're what they typically what they are is their t EFC motors, which means totally enclosed fan cooled. So at the back of the motor, there's a, a housing where a typically a plastic fan, plastic fan blade spins, which is uh, acts as an impeller and it draws cool air into the motor so it doesn't you know burn up. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know what can go wrong with an induction motor, with the exception of the bearings yeah, and maybe the windings at some point can go. I think that's a long way down the road. You'd have to have thousands of hours on a, on a motor for the windings to go bad. I I would really think it would just be the bearings. And I've had some machinery that's, you know, 40, 50 years old in the past. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we I've never worried about the motor, right? And yeah, it's just, it's it works or it doesn't. You're more worried about the stuff that the motor powers, the yeah. belts, mm-hmm. the arbors, things mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would uh, I would get that manual for your iTech C300 and just read over. And I, I guarantee you, they're not going to. Te- well, I can't guarantee it, but pretty positive it's probably not going to talk a lot about maintenance for the induction motor and more so about the belts and maybe the bearings and the arbor and things like that that you might want to check or periodically if that all right so sean you've got the next question i do and uh let, let me take this one this is from bruce my question for you is regarding finishing i have used an alcohol based dye and sealed it with shellac as it sticks to everything and everything sticks to it. I'm also using a water-based poly over that, specifically regarding the legs. They are an upside-down U or an A-shape, and I have them set up to brush on the poly. Would you finish the outward face and edges first, let it dry, then flip it and do do the inner face? Legs are laying flat on painter's pyramids that are set up on top of the table saw. Or would you poly all sides and at once and try to touch up finger marks as you go? So there's two questions, and I'm going to cover this one first. But there's a couple of different ways that you can handle this. I'm just going to cover one, and I'm going to I'll pass it off to see how you guys would do it. 
before we cover Bruce's second question here, this is his second question is kind of a, a quick one. Um, so one way that you could handle that is you could, uh, you know, flip it upside down and finish the bottom of the legs first. You could put a coat of epoxy on the bottom of the feet, uh, that'll seal them off and then flip them back, flip them up backside, whatever you want to call it, set them on their feet and then brush on the poly around the entire, uh, leg, setting them on their feet that, have, you know, that have been pre-finished with uh, a coat of epoxy, uh, that'll allow you to get all sides of the legs, uh, and not have to worry about, uh, touching up finger marks as you go. Uh, because I understand how complex you want to finish this as fast as possible, because if you have to lay it down and do one coat, flip it over to do the rest, I mean, it's going to take you two nights to do, well, depending on where you live two two nights in my shop to get one coat on. And that, that just seems to take forever. Uh, so I, I would, I would take that. That's one approach that you could take is, is to set them on their feet and, uh, and brush on the poly all the way around. Uh, before we move on to the other, how, how did you guys finish this? If you were keep in mind, if you were brushing it on, uh, Hui, how would you, how would you tackle that? I would do the underside first and then flip it up once it's dry and then do the, do the top side. But yeah, it's, it's going to take a little longer to do it that way. And I've done it that way, um, in the past when I've brushed on poly. So what do you mean? Do the underside? Well, it's the backside, the backside, right? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Not maybe not the underside, but yeah, I, I, I do it that way. It kind of makes sense to me. That's what I was thinking when, when you were reading the question before you even came up with your, uh, well, that's, that's what he said that he was, he was going to do. Yeah. My idea was to finish the feet, the bottom of them, and then yeah, set it, stand it up and then do all, all sides of it. You, you've put epoxy on the bottom of feet before. I've never done that before. I mean, it's just one way if you want to just quickly seal it. Because yeah. I mean, you know, you're putting water-based poly on the feet any on the very bottom of it anyway. Just mm-hmm. wants to put you a coat of epoxy, and if it's not thick enough, at least it'll allow you to put three or four coats on the base, and then you can put another coat on the on the on the bottom. I mean, I'm not done it a whole lot. It's not like my go-to. I'll get creative in mm-hmm. how I do it. That's just one way that that he could uh, Bruce could handle it. I didn't want to say multiple ways because I want to allow you guys to kind of yeah. I I I, I kind of like the idea of laying it flat especially for brushing it on because you, the, the chances of it, you know, dripping are a lot less, especially on the show face. And we mentioned doing the back first and then the top and the sides. Hmm. Myself, I don't really see it makes much difference if you do the top and the sides of the legs and then wait for it to dry and then flip it. E- either way, it's, it, it amounts to the same thing. The nice yeah. thing about water-based poly is it dries really fast. Yep. And, um, you know, in, in three or four hours, you, you, it's going to be dry enough for you to be able to flip it one way or the other. But I do like the idea of it sitting flat because the, the finish is going to, you know, I hate to say it, flatten better on than the, it would in a vertical position. On the horizontal face only because you still got the sides that are all going to be yeah, yeah, vertical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but the either either way you're going to be. But if you do it the other way, where you're talking about Sean, not I'm saying it's the wrong way. No, it's not. But yeah, it's just a different way. But <laughs> the, the 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 every face is going to be vertical. Well, yeah. that's when you don't put so much on it drips. I, I understand that. 
<laughs> I'd rather get it done in one coat a night instead of one coat every two nights. Yeah, I dig it. Time myself, is money. I would, Time myself, is money, I would just spray it. <laughs> well, we're coming on to the next part of this question. It's okay. About, it's about spraying. Oh. If I were to spray the poly, what would my order of operations be? Spray one side and all edges first or all sides at once. What about orientation of the table legs? Lay flat, stand them up, hang them from a wire. Since, uh, let's see. Yeah. I'm going to be honest again. I, I'm going to go back. How I would do it would be the same way. I'd stand it up and then and spray it. Um, that, that's how I would do it. I mean, if I got runs, I would just make sure that I would fix it next time not spray so heavy. I don't know. I mean, you're going to have vertical surfaces along the way. I, I don't know. I'm guessing you all would do the same if you sprayed it. Um, if I sprayed it, I'd probably, one way that I've done table legs or in this case it was chair legs is I actually hung them up, uh, on, uh, like a little coat hanger type thing, put a little, um, drill a little hole, put an eye hook in. And so then it's hanging vertically and spraying it that way. I like doing it that way. Um, Myself, I'd lay them flat. I do the back. I would do the back first in that case, if I was spraying, I do the back first, let it dry, and then flip, you know, I, I actually do the whole back. Mm. Um, what I mean by the whole back is I, I, you know, if I'm going to do three coats of it, I would do the three coats on the back first, get it all dry, get it all ready to go, and then flip it over and then do the. How would you handle the, the edges on the A shape of the leg? I would do the, the show face and the sides last while it's on the back. Huh. When you have some, I, it, some dripping. I'm, 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 I am of the opinion and my opinion doesn't mean anything, <laughs> <laughs> but I am, I am of the opinion that I would rather lay stuff flat. No, I get that. I'm just saying, how would you put three coats on that without any of it like going on the, on the edges? Well, when you're spraying, it's, it's going it, to, it is, some of it is going to hit the edges. There's no way around it. Some of yeah. it's going to hit the edges, but I wouldn't, you know, get them wet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's the back, you know, it depends on the table too. I mean, that's, that's, what I, 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 I dig what he's saying about the, the shape of the legs, but how much of the back are you going to see? Right. Yeah. 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 So, and I don't know. So if you're not going to see much of the back of the legs, I just put like a coat, maybe two coats on it just to seal it and then flip them over and do the, the fronts and the sides. Yeah. I, 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 again, this is my opinion. I'm always worried about the parts that people can see. Mm -hmm. If you can't see it or it's not a focal point, I don't go crazy about it. I'm more do the things that people are going to see first and touch. That's where yeah. I put, that's where I concentrate most of my, my work at. Yeah. I, I figure with a shaped legs, you're still going to have probably a two inch thick piece. You're going to have you know, pretty thick sides that are going to be vertical. So if mm-hmm. you're going to have the potential for runs there, I, I mean, I, I've had pretty good luck spraying stuff like yeah. cabinets and stuff vertically. So I, I would try it first, just, me yeah. being, you know, not having any patience, I would try it and see how it turned out <laughs> because I, I'm pretty sure I could get it with, with that run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Sean. But like I said, if I can spray it flat, I'm going to spray it flat. If I can do anything 
finishing wise flat with it being flat i'm gonna do it flat yeah but if you can't you can't yeah or if you don't want to wait don't want to wait yeah all right <laughs> Um, so I guess it's, oh, you, is there more to this? Just let me tack this on for Bruce. Okay. Can you thin, he's asking, the poly I'm using is Czar Premium Finishes, fast drying semi-gloss. It says on the container, do not thin. If spraying, can I disregard and add up to 10% water to lower the viscosity as I might with other finishes? I've never thinned water-based poly. So I'm no expert on that guy. Would you would you feel comfortable thinning that? I, I have thinned. Thin water-based poly, but here's here's what it's here's here's what I'm 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 reading this question out. It says on the container, do not thin if spraying. Can I disregard this and add up to 10% water? So to answer this question, yes, you can disregard that and add 10% water. But the manufacturer is telling you not to. If you don't have a reason to, don't. I think it's read like it, it says on the container, do not thin, comma. If spraying cannot, that's how I read it. I think there's just oh, yeah, okay. potential yeah, yeah. missing comma. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm reading it wrong then. No, I may. Have, well, yeah, that, well, that, that's, that, that just goes to my sixth grade education. <laughs> Actually, I'm lying. It's fifth grade. Um, I, I, I would still not, unless you have to thin it. It's already yeah. thin. Yeah. It's pretty thin already. I've, I've, I have thinned water-based poly before. But I've never used Czar Premium Finishes water-based polish, so I don't know if it needs to be thin enough. You thinned it as you were spraying it, like yeah, to spraying? spray it to get better atomization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got it. But I yeah. didn't. I didn't add. It wasn't ten percent. It was just a little bit. Yeah, I say try I was, it. You know that, that little that little drip cup. Yeah, the, the viscosity the, cup. Yeah, board for, cup, whatever it is. Yeah, they have a name for it. What was it, Hui? I think it's called a Ford. There's Ford Cup? Is that oh, right? yeah. from the Yeah. Yeah, that's the, uh, yep. It has a little certain size hole in the bottom that if it finishes yeah. in so many seconds, it's blah, 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 blah. Yes. Yeah. So a technical term. Yeah. That's that's why I did it. And I added a little bit of water so it, it, it cleared the cup, the viscosity, mm-hmm. the Ford Cup. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't use those cups anymore. Yeah, at all. Well, um, if he's if he's spraying, I I, I think well, I don't know. I, I I say he test it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I say test yeah. it because if he can avoid having to thin it, that's just going to be much better for him. Yeah, if the man, you know, I always take very um, what's the word I'm looking for. I I always try to heed the what the manufacturer says on the label. Yeah. Sometimes I can't, but if I can, I do. Mm-hmm. All right. Hopefully that helps, Bruce. Off to you, guy. All right. So this question is from Brent. And it says, hi, guys. I'm a truck driver and listen to your podcast a lot. Guy, do you still use your Incra TSLS fence? Why don't we see more woodworkers using them? Even on YouTube, the videos are years old. Your thoughts, please, Brent. I know you guys don't have one. So I thought this would be a good question. So I'm going to talk about why I have one mm-hmm. and what I like about it. And then afterwards, you guys, because I know both of you have probably looked at them at some point in time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to hear from you about why you decided just to stick with your regular fence. So 
Brent, yes, I do still have mine. I still love it. Every time I use a, 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 a conventional table saw without an anchor fence, I feel lost. Mm-hmm. I am checking. Every time I do it, I check. Even though I know the scale is pretty close, I still pull out a tape measure or a ruler and check the distance from the tooth of the blade to the fence. Mm-hmm. With the anchor, I don't do that. If I put it on five and you know, seven thirty seconds, I'm going to be within one or two thousandths of an inch. And then I can change it, do 10 other operations on the saw and go back a month later, set it at that same setting. And it's going to be within one or two thousandths of an inch. They're that accurate. They are awesome. They are expensive. They're almost as much as some saws are. Mm-hmm. However, the repeatability and the accuracy and the peace of mind I get while using it just trumps everything. I, I When I bought it, I was kind of pensive too because the main review that I saw out there was Mark Spagnolo's, the mm-hmm. Wood Whisperer, who had one of these and then took it off. And he posted on his own website and he wrote a very detailed Amazon review. So it's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, Mark Spagnuolo saying, don't buy this. I don't like it. He didn't say don't buy it. He just said, I don't like it. It's not for me. Yeah. I think is the way he put it, which I respect. He didn't say, you know, don't buy it. He said, I don't like it. It's not for me. But for me, it is for me. Mainly because I'm very uh, anal about being accurate when I'm in my home shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that type of stuff where I can, I know it's, I can tune it. I like to tinker when I don't have a project. So I can tinker with that. I can make sure it's absolutely perfect. And then when I go to use it, I just set it at whatever measure I'm going to cut. I cut it. It's just... For me, it works wonderful. I love it. I highly recommend it. Um, okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> By the way, Ankara does not sponsor this podcast. So, Sean, I know you've looked at it because a lot of yeah. people have. What sure. made you not buy it, I guess, is the best way to put it. Uh, two things. The required space on the outfeed side. Mm-hmm. Um And the second reason is, I don't know if you've just had bad experience with table saw fences, but I mean, if I set mine to nine inches, it's going to cut it. I don't thread the needle with anything less than, you know, a 16th on my, I mean, I, I I get repeatability with mine is just, it may not be down to the thousands that you're getting with yours. Mine's never, mine's good enough. I, I just don't, in my opinion, it's just an accessory that for my shop is not needed Mm -hmm. and your workflow. Yeah. I I just, I just don't see the need for it. Yeah. But I mean, here's, here's a great example of what you can do with that. And I I actually had a video where I showed all this stuff. It was like 2016, I think. So it's been five years where I said, you know, you're making a groove for quarter inch plywood, which we know isn't a quarter inch. Mm -hmm. And uh, all I did was I measured the thickness of the plywood. I mean, and you can, adjust that thing by the thousandths of an inch. Mm -hmm. 
So I made one pass and the second pass, I made a slight adjustment and it's just like perfect fit using okay. calipers. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, for there, me and my workflow, it makes sense. But there's multiple it, ways to achieve that though. You can get a plywood bit, you can shim your dados. And once you get those set, you're done. Just run yeah, your but, through it. But, but shimming the, the dados, gosh. Yeah, I'd be there for for an hour making test cuts and all that crap. And you guys, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe that's why I don't have it because I'm a little bit faster at dado stacks. Okay, I'm not fast <laughs> at dado stacks. It takes me a long time. No, and I with just, that thing, that thing, all I got to do is take calipers, I measure it, I go over, I go boom, and in 10 seconds it's done. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, for my workflow, it's not needed. I got other, yeah. other how much is that table saw fence? When I bought mine five years ago, I think it was a little under five hundred dollars, like yeah. four seventy nine. It's probably a lot more expensive than that now. Yeah. It's a TS positioner, right? The TSLS. Uh, TSLS yeah. positioner. TS yeah. positioner or table saw LS positioner. TSLS. Yeah, so the 52-inch length, which I think is probably longer than most people would need, is about $700. And then the 32-inch. About 32-inch. 32-inch is five sixty. Okay, so it's gone that, up about $100 in yeah. five years. Yeah. 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 That's so, my reasons. I, I just, too much space, and I, I just don't see the need That's for it. everybody's biggest complaint about that is the arm going out the edge. I have a solution for that in my shop. Um, I put my, my bandsaw back there. Yeah. Kind of like nested and it doesn't, it doesn't stick out. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, yeah, it, it, it really, it comes down to the space that that's required for it. Now I do know that the TSLS positioner, cause I have my router table on the other side of my table saw. Um, and I actually do have an Incra Ultra uh, fence on the right side of my table saw for my router table. Um, yeah, I mean, I've thought about it, and then uh, I didn't have it because I had a wall right next to my table saw mm-hmm. that my table saw... I think I talked to you about this, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, I talked to you, like, how much space do you need on the right side there, and I was like, dang it, if I, if I do that, you know, I'll ha- I'll be yeah. encroaching. If you've, got, space. If, you, if you've got your your extension table of your table saw, you know, right at the blade, up against the wall, yeah. <laughs> it's not this. The TSLS yeah. is not for you. And how much room do you yeah. lose on that outfit on the right side of the blade? Nothing. How do you get a full length cut, like or full width rather? I put it at thirty two inches. Don't you have to mount it to the top of your mm-hmm. the right side of your table? Or am I just not understanding how it's connected? You're not understanding how it's connected. It's connected in one spot all the way to the right. Yeah. Yeah. And then just the bar moves back and forth through the carriage that's stationary. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't mount to the top of the... Um... Well, there's there's bars that go on the front and back. Yeah. Okay. And all the way to the right of the blade all the way at the end of your table saw on the right. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, the position a, part itself, a, a carriage 
I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't say a carriage. It's a, a an arm that locks onto those bars, mm-hmm. and there's a carriage with the locking mechanism on it, and then there's a bar that goes through it. Right. So is that, that mounted moves. to the right? Is that mounted off of the right side of your table or on the right side of your table? On the right side of the table. So how much space do you lose then because of that? Uh, well, I've got a thirty-two inch cut. Okay. Okay. And my saw. The Powermatic saw, I think, was advertised as a 30, 30 inch or a 36 inch. So I may have lost four inches. Okay. Yeah. But then again, I, you know, 99, I want to say 99 times out of 100. I'm going to say nine times out of 10. Most of the cuts I'm making are under 12 inches. Yeah. Most of the time, they're under 12 inches. So that thing is only sticking out. 12 inches and it's behind my bandsaw because of the way I have it nested. So it doesn't, it doesn't interfere with anything. Right. Right. And it's so repeatable. If I have to make a cut of 32 and I have to put the thing all the way out. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I'm done making that cut, I just slide it back in. in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I've had it so long. I know better, Mm -hmm. but there's no chance of me bumping into it. I guess is what I'm saying. And I will say that it's nicely made. It's well machined and engineered. It's it's amazing, you know, amazingly accurate. I don't know. It's just a hard sell for me. Now on a for me me it's just for me it's just a peace of mind. I know if I I know I can set that thing to within a thirty second of an inch, right, with repeatable Mm -hmm. accuracy every time without having to eyeball stuff. And what I call it in the video is the bump and pray. Yeah. I just, I've never needed to do that repeatedly. If I cut something the first time, they're all that same width. I mean, I've just never had to get something that exact size again, or it was, you know, going to cause me an issue. Well, the, the, the main reason I bought it is that I've old, I've used Anchor stuff for since before 2000. I think the first thing I bought was in 1997, maybe. And then in 1998 or 1999, I bought the, mm-hmm. the positioner for your router table. I think at that time it was called the Twin Linear. Yeah. Any, anyways, um, I've just been using their stuff for a long time. I saw it. I had some extra cash because I got my Christmas bonus at work and they had them in stock at that time. It was very easy to get. And it was like 469 or 479. And I had the money. I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get it. And did that's you, why I bought it. Did you get the same one when you had your, I think you had a steel city saw, right? At that time I had a steel city saw. Yep. And, and so then when you got your Powermatic, you took it off of your steel yep. city and put it on, on that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the bars and the, the, the fence were sold. Yeah. I will say for a router table, having that scale is nice. I don't have it on my current router table, but I had something, some knockoff yeah. version. So I can say having something like that on a router table would be awesome because like yeah. a traditional, your traditional um, fence on a router table doesn't have any scale at all, you know, to, to tell you any yeah. measurements. So having that on a router table would definitely be, Amazing. So I've, I've got the same, almost the exact same thing on my router table, except it's a 17 yeah. inch version. I think the problem with that um, is you have to have your tables. It's not the traditional setup. It's 
long more than you wide. You can make it a traditional setup, though. Yeah, but you, yeah, you, you get more room doing it the other way, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that that is another thing too. That if that interests you, you should watch the uh, the videos on the Anchor website where they talk about how to use that. You know, as a the TSLS for the table saw. Yeah, you can use it as a router fence too. Yeah, if you want to put your your router in your table of the table saw. So can you now, use that as the um for for box joints on your table saw? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a full, it'd be, it'd be, you can do everything on that that you can do on an Inker router table. So I've got the old Inker Ultra on my router table, which is, uh, which I think is after the twin, uh, twin linear, twin linear. Yeah. They came out with so. the Inker Ultra after that. Anyway. Right, well, anyways, I hope that helps Brent. You know, there's a lot of stuff there and, um, I'm very happy with it. It sounds like Sean and we are kind of like, yeah, maybe, but it just doesn't, just doesn't work for him. I guess I would entertain it if I had room, but I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be the, yeah. Other than that, I wouldn't, I would spend. <laughs> now I, I, and, and guy, I know you hate I'm trying to close out the question. Well, so we can move on. <laughs> you, you had, you had that digital, what do you call it? The Wixie digital fence scale at one point, didn't you? On my fence. On your table saw fence at one yes, point. Yes, and yeah. it sucked. It See, and I like it. I, it I've been using horrible, it. awful, and nasty. I, I love mine. Work. Mine it, works great. <laughs> it didn't work. I and I'm actually able like to get it. pretty good repeatability with it too. But anyway. Anyways, so. okay. Let's move on. So we're back to Hui. Yeah, and this week. question is from Tom, and he says, "Gentlemen." I insert enthusiastic verb, so love, maybe, your podcast and think you're all etc. I have a different finishing question. I'm about to complete a small timber frame shed. No fasteners used except four hurricane straps and nails for the roof deck. Guy, you would hate your life here. All the mortise and tenon joinery was cut by hand. The frame, base, flooring, and siding are black locusts. I would have hated no, no, that. No, wait a second. I don't have anything wrong with hand-cut mortise and tenon joint. I just don't do it. Uh, doesn't mean I hate it. If you had to do as much as he did, you might rip your hair out. I might rip my hair out. I don't have any uh, hair to rip out. Oh, oh good point. Anyway, uh, <laughs> The rest of the beams are SPF, which is Southern uh, SPF. Uh, spine, pru- sp- uh, sp- spine. Spruce. Pine, Pine fur. <laughs> All locally Damn sawn <laughs> and then transported on the roof of my Subaru. That is quite the feat. The roof is going to be a living moss roof. Wow. I have no lawn, only moss on four acres. I went through the trouble of book matching the siding when I made it. And even and even though black locust will last 100 years outdoors, I would like to, as the kids say, pop the grain. Would you recommend any sort of oil-based finish? I know I would have to reapply periodically, which isn't a problem. However, sanding would be, I'd imagine. Uh, I live about an hour outside of New York City. We have seasons. Any other info you need, feel free to ask. Thanks, Tom. Wow, that is quite the undertaking for a shed. For a shed. That's pretty cool. Uh, Thank you for that, Tom. So, uh... 
I don't know. I, I think maybe some type of Watco product, maybe like a teak oil or uh, I think they make a exterior wood penetrating oil. Um, but uh, but yeah, just like you said, while it will offer some resistance, it's something that's going to have to be reapplied and refinished, sanded and and uh, taken care of periodically. Um, I don't think that's going to be the teak oil or the exterior wood oil, the penetrating oil that I'm talking about is going to be anything particularly long lasting. Um, but it sounds like that, that you're okay with that and that that's actually something that you would expect to do. Um, anything, anything that, uh, that comes to mind, Sean, that you might suggest that he try? No, I would agree with what you said. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else. I mean, I'd probably make a joke or two, paint it, use Rubio <laughs> Monocote on the whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine how much oh, that yeah, would cost. Oh, yeah, just put Rubio, Rubio Monocote. Rubio Monocote yeah. on everything. How many everything. gallons of that crap you'd have to use and how much oh, that would goodness. cost. Yeah. That'd be so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think I think I, I can't think of anything else other than teak oil or the the, you know, the Watco products. Well, the Guy? only thing I've used for outdoor stuff or stuff that would be near water mm-hmm. is spar urethane, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which you can buy at, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and they have in the big box stores. Um, and that is an oil-based finish and it will mm-hmm. pop the grain. Yeah. And it will also give you very, very good water protection. I, I put that on uh, a piece that sat outside. And I tell you what, two years later, the water was still beating on it. Yeah. So, and it will pop the grain since it is oil-based. That is the only thing that I am familiar with to use outdoors. And it will do everything that you want it to, Tom. So, you might want to take a look at that. I guess it depends on what kind of look you're going for with that spar varnish. You're going to probably obviously get a, a film type finish perhaps versus. Well, it depends on how many coats you put on it, but he didn't talk about that. He's just saying, I want to, as the kids say, pop the grain. Right. Yeah. But so that's, I mean, I wasn't where I'm going with that. I know, but I'm just saying it's, you're going to get a different type of look. I'm just letting Tom know. I'm not, I'm not teaching you. I'm letting, trying to, you know, make yeah. a point up to Tom about the differences between a, you know, something like that versus a, an oil teak oil or something. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a different look, I guess, depending on the number of coats. Yeah. Depending was, on the it, number of coats. That I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you might be happy with the way, you know, a spar urethane looks over, you know, a teak oil or a penetrating oil might look. I, I don't know. I got to do a test. Right. But I, I guess what my, my only, point was you're going to get two different looks so yeah make test boards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i wish i could add more I've, I've done very little outdoor stuff yeah so you know well there are three options for you tom so all right well, i hope that helps and who's got the next me. question who me and your name is oh that's sean that's right sean <laughs> You've got the next question. 
All right. This is from Jim. Thanks for answering my last question on stickering new cherry boards in a horizontal rack. I did sticker them and they stayed stable, but in the future, I would probably not if they're kiln dried as I have limited space and need to maximize. I just completed a shaker end table with the, with the cherry I had bought and realized when putting the top on that the painter's pyramids that I used to hold the top while applying the finish left dense in the top. I finished the top with a coat of BLO and then five coats of shellac. The finish looks great, but the dents are ruining the look of the smooth top. I know you can steam the dents out, but I'm afraid to try this as I do not want to damage the finish. What are your thoughts or suggestions, Jim? Well, Jim, you've got a couple of options. One, you can live with the dents or two, you can try to steam them out. Um, you can, since you already have five coats of shellac, I don't know what kind of Mm -hmm. shellac you put on there. I don't know if you put one pound cut, two pound cut, whatever. I don't know how thick it is. I I just don't know how well that the steaming is going to work with a sealed surface like that. Um, You can try it and, you know, use a wet, a damp cloth and, and, and iron it to see if you're able to get those out. Uh, But chances are you may have to do some, some sanding to go through that shellac in order for the surface to absorb that. Uh, that water to swell up a little bit and the, and the steam and the heat to, to pull those dents out. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to, hard to really see those dents until you get that last few coats and that sheen starts to build up a little bit that you look at it at an angle and you start to see those dents. I've done this numerous times and it sucks. Those little things are awesome, but they dent like crazy. So I personally would, attempt to steam them out and if that required me to sand the top and reapply shellac it's it you know it dries fast you'll be able to reapply it's easy to fix i would do what i had to do to get those dents out because they're always going to be there and you can reapply shellac easily um instead of leaving the dents there because they would drive me crazy i mean i've i've had projects before where i've had this same problem but i would fix them you know and then try to find something else to set them on. But it's, it's a struggle. I mean, you can, what do you use if the, you know, if those are all that you have to lay the piece on when you're putting finish on it? Um, well, maybe that guy or we can, can uh, add to that, but I would go for it and, and, and try to try to fix it without sanding the shellac. But if that doesn't work, then I would start sanding back the shellac until that did work. And then if it required refinishing, Man, I mean, you don't want to regret not putting in the extra couple of days to fix that when you're going to look at this table, shaker end table, for years to come. So that that's my two cents on the matter. What would you guys do? Um, leave it, I, leave it I, be. <laughs> I, I've 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 actually been through this. Hmm. So I mentioned before we were talking about a finishing question, and I said. Uh, I would do the back first, just a couple coats just to seal it and then flip it over and lay it flat and then do the top. I would do the same thing with this because I've done that. I would do the, do the bottom first, then flip it over. And who cares if it's, a, if the, the bottom painter's the pyramids yeah. dent the bottom, yeah. but you never yeah. want to put the show face or what, you know, what I call the, the, the money face. The, yep. the thing that people are going to see instantly, you know, it's whatever. Sometimes you try to draw attention to a drawer front or legs or the top. It depends on what it is. But in this case, if it's the top, 
I would make sure that I finished the top last and not put mm-hmm. on the pyramids. So to take care of the problem with the finish on there, you are not going to be able to steam out those dents with the finish on there. You're going to have to sand it back. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. To get rid of those dents, you're going to have to sand it back, steam the dents out, and then refinish it. That's yep. the only way I see. But if it's a shaker, t- I mean, it's, I know I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the work that he's done. It's a shaker table. So I imagine the top's not that huge. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but I would but do the same. He's I got five coats of schlack on there. You're not going to steam anything out with five coats of yeah, schlack. Yeah. But it is shellac, right? Mm-hmm. So super it's easy. Pretty super easy. It's not, I wouldn't say super easy, but, but it's not terrible. Yeah. Um, to apply? Yeah, sand it's not it hard at all. It's to sand it back and to, to get back to where he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but totally agree, Guy. I mean, that's something that I always think about because I've had dents using those pyramids before as well. Um, you know, always, really always have the... Off, yeah, yeah. So I, I always do a moving blanket. I always put the moving... the put the moving blanket face down uh, or the show face down on the moving blanket, apply what finish I need. Then I Mm -hmm. put it right side up and put Mm -hmm. the pyramids underneath because who cares? It's on the bottom. Nobody's going to see it, you know? So that always makes me nervous doing multiple coats on one side of a solid panel because I'm afraid it's going to move. That's why I always try to put it on the back, flip it over, put it on the front. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about the same time. What do you mean? Mm, I'm saying, I, th- I thought you all were talking about putting on multiple coats and then flipping it over. And- See, like on a, on a tabletop, like a cherry tabletop, like he's talking about, right. that may be 26 inches square, 24 yeah, inches or, square. Yeah. I would put like myself, I'd put, I could finish that thing in a day. No problem if it was shellac. And I was spraying it. I'd spray two coats on the back be done with it, flip it over, and put four or five coats on the front. Waiting about, you know, an hour, half hour to an hour between coats. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, Sean, that you worry about putting multiple coats on one side. But I mean, it, it's it's a case of like, I don't know, maybe at the most a couple of days as it dries. Are, are, you, are you worried, Sean, about the, the top warping or yeah. cupping? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what, that would be a concern of if I were to put multiple coats. Like I never, this is just me. If I'm wiping on a wiping varnish, I'll put, I'll put it on the on the back, flip it over, and put it on the front. Okay, so you're doing even coats all the way through. Correct. Like one Doesn't mean it's right. It's just it's a, how I feel about it. No, I understand. Thing. I understand. I've not worried about it that much, and maybe I should. I don't know. Um, if you're not having any problems thus far, I mean, it should be working. Must be working for you. Yeah, hmm. I've just but, had bad experiences of a walnut, a freaking walnut panel that I finished one time warped on me after I put two or three coats yeah. on the back. You, you got that PTSD from, <laughs> especially it's the price of walnut. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hear you, man. Um, I, I I dig what you're saying. I've I've had it happen a couple times, but it's not like a constant thing. Mm-hmm. So I've never really worried about it that much. Right. So Okay. Well, Jim, I would get the dents out by trying a little bit of sanding and but if you're gonna sand, you might as well just go do the whole thing and sand it 
back. And, uh, yeah. cause that, I mean, in my, my opinion, I, that's a, it's an, that's a great looking finish. I've done it myself. I'm looking at a desk right now that I'm sitting at that's cherry that had a BLO and then several coats of shellac on it. And it looks fantastic, but it's not the most difficult thing to sand back. You know, it's not like several layers of brushed on poly. It's going to be pretty straightforward to do. I would, I would give it a go. You don't mm. want those dents there forever. Yeah. yeah. But All right. that's it. So back to I've you, got man. the next question. It's the last question. Yep. Yay. <laughs> this question comes from Michael. He actually wrote three questions. I'm just going to take one of them, Michael. But thank you for doing the questions. Yep. Um, name a tool that you have that you are not particularly happy with, but for some reason have not upgraded. And Uh-oh. give your reasons why you haven't bit the bullet and bought a better version of that tool. Mm. Hui. Mm. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We do it. Me first? Oh, yeah. Hot yep. potato. Oh, whew. he's just jumping right there. <laughs> Man, I got to think about this. Hold on here. I got um, one if you want me to go first. Okay, Sean, go first. I would have to say my Hitachi sliding compound miter saw. It, it, mm. Unless I, if I don't pull that handle out, if I'm just dropping it like a regular chop saw i can get decent i mean i only use it for rough lumber so let me preface it by saying that and i think the reason why is because of the issue that i have i just can't (laughs) get square cuts i can't get square cuts (laughs) i mean i have dialed it in dialed it in dialed it in and why have i not purchased a a better version of that tool because you use it to because i use it to rough cut and i use my table saw for other things if i had a better setup for my miter saw i probably would go with either that bosch or the take out a second mortgage and get that fest tool um, <laughs> just so I can get perfect 45s. And if I don't, I'm having guy come uh, align it for me for free. That's his guarantee. But <laughs> that's, that's why I haven't. And that's the tool that I would go with that I'm not super thrilled with. Oh gosh. I'm trying to wait. I upgrade everything, man. No, I, I, I don't. Um, just lie. Is anything in particular just that just <laughs> you got those Phillips screwdrivers you didn't like? What? I don't know. Oh, are you just trying to throw something? At me? <laughs> I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to help fill in this, this gap here while you think of something. Oh god, I don't know. Okay, I'll go. go. So, in my lifetime, I have owned three sets of chisels. Hmm. Uh huh. The first set was a set of Craftsman's contractor type chisels they actually were pretty good i actually mm-hmm. still have them mm-hmm. the second set i bought were some narex mm-hmm. and the narex were good except they were metric now i have nothing against metric i use metric <laughs> every day but when you're trying to do a quarter inch you know mortise clean it out and you're you're using a five millimeter chisel. It's not the same. Mm. It's close, but it's not the same. So, and I, I hate the handles. The handles mm-hmm. are big, bulky biatches. Don't like them. <laughs> Don't like them. They are decent chisels. It steel's good. They sharpen easy. Yeah. And yeah. they hold an edge. Um, I had bought a set of stanley sweetheart chisels there was uh-huh. like four in there i already had a three eighths inch one 
that a, a buddy of mine, Brian McKnight, sent me. Nice. Um, so I, I wanted to get some chills. I said, well, I've got this three-eighths inch one. I'll buy a, a, a set of them. And they've been pretty good. I mean, I'm not like super duper happy with them. Mm -hmm. um, but they get the job done. They get the job done. And that's why I really haven't bit the bullet because it's like nine times out of 10, I'm using the one chisel, the half inch. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, I'm going for that half inch chisel. It does 90% of what I, what I need it to do. And I keep that one sharp. Uh, I keep all of them sharp, actually. Um, and it works pretty good. I mean, I don't have any issues with it. Yeah. The only time they've really given me any problems is, you know, the once or twice every decade I try to do hand-cut dovetails. The geometry isn't good for hand-cut dovetails with those. Yeah. So other than that, they've been decent, but they're not great chisels. They're cheap. Mm -hmm. they're cheap mm -hmm. at work they just bought some brand new uh lee valley veritas chisels with the the pmv 11 steel Ooh, and they're nice wonderful. they're wonderful they're magical i really yeah. wish i had a set actually yeah. they might turn around and the, those tools might actually disappear i'm just kidding <laughs> i would never do that and if they did it, would, it wasn't would me no <laughs> yeah it wasn't me i would never steal anything all right but, i got a couple um, i got a couple now there you go i okay. got a couple now so you mentioned screwdrivers uh really Sean? yeah yeah you mentioned them <laughs> and then i was thinking so i actually have these like cheapo like and they're my main screwdrivers you know there's <laughs> screwdrivers that are in my my tool chest and um, they are the Harbor Freight cheapo screwdrivers that I got when like I first moved into our old home and I was just trying to get tools just to to have them uh, to work on stuff. But I mean, they're marred up and some, you know, there's I'm sure there's a couple of them that, you know, I could never use ever again because they're all, you know, marred up and everything and dinged up. Um but, you know, I, I'd love to have like a pair of, you know, a set of uh, Wara screw, screwdrivers, you know, nice. Yeah, those are nice. I have I have those there. Yeah, I know you do. They're wonderful. <laughs> they're worth, they they're worth every penny. They're the first real set of screwdrivers I ever bought. And they're worth every penny. Yeah, they're really nice. And I have uh, a Harbor Freight Brad Nailer that I bought, I don't know how many years ago. But the thing won't break. Um, but, you know, every now and then it's, it's not like the greatest um, Brad nailer. Sometimes it'll miss here and there. And uh, sometimes I'll get a jam and whatnot. But it's one of the things that I just haven't, you know, I don't, I, I use Brad nails to like make jigs, you know? So it's like, yeah. eh, you know, do I, do I spend a hundred and 150 bucks for a Brad nailer, you know, to get, I don't know, a boss stitch or something like that. Eh, Let me tell maybe, you something. Maybe not about Brad Nailers. That that is something I'm passionate about. Like I am so <laughs> tired of pulling out the compressor, the hose, the what. The, I'm going to put the money down and buy me a battery powered Brad Nailer. Brad Nailer. Yes, I don't. I don't. I ha I have one. Oh, I know. Doing, you uh, you no, got all the other cool tools. It's a no. It's a it's a finishing nailer. So uh -huh. it doesn't shoot Brad nails. They're like fifth with a like fifteen gauge. I think. 
yeah nails for like putting trim in yeah yep, yep. but that's that's something that i'm i'm going to buy next year because i am they're just so convenient why not yeah they are. I just haven't purchased them because they're so freaking expensive. It's, I'm just yeah. trying to justify it. I, I just bought a Grax pen nailer. Before that, I had a really cheap ass one. I paid like twenty bucks for thirty dollars yeah. for at Woodcraft years ago. Yeah. And now the bu- Grex is. I'm sorry. Is that pneumatic? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's you. it's wonderful. It's just yeah. wonderful. It just works so well. Um, but going back to Michael's question, you know, he says, name a tool that you're not particularly happy with, but you have not great. I, I'm very fortunate and very blessed in the fact that when I really think about this question, that the, 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 the thing is I look at it as I've got chisels, mm-hmm. that's it. And even yeah. then I'm kind of happy with them. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very happy with just about all my tools. As I said, I've been very fortunate to be able to have upgraded almost mm-hmm. everything in my shop in the last maybe five or six years. Yeah, that's the thing is he's caught us all in a spot <laughs> where we've been in our shops. We've been doing this. Well, not not me nearly as long as you, but we're not new. Like when I started, I could have named every tool in my shop when I started. I had a $69 skill table saw that was the black friday special i could have named every tool that i had in my shop when i first started that would have been a a porta cable desktop joiner um Mm -hmm. i mean harbor freight biscuit joiner that i threw away i can name every tool that i had when i first started yeah we just were fortunate to be in the game for long enough and have upgraded along the way we're on the back end of upgrade itis as they say yeah, I mean, I really don't have anything to upgrade. I, I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know if there's any tools that I really want to have right now. Yeah. Most of the stuff that I buy are mostly like the small little accessories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just those, depends. You know, like router bits and stuff like that. But Wait, now, this this would change up for all of us if we had more room, obviously. We would, we would find something to buy. Oh, yeah. Oh, if yeah. I had more room, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. We just upgraded a couple tools. I was going to talk about real, real quick. But we just upgraded uh, a couple tools at the shop. We a- Actually, they're in addition to. We just got a new 16-inch joiner. Saw that, yep. Um, And we have a 24-inch planer that actually has two motors in it. There's a 10-horsepower motor for the blades which are you know helical and then it's got a seven horsepower motor for the drive feed it can cut it can take off a quarter inch wow at 75 inches per second inches per second (laughs) inches per second or per minute no 75 it's got to be inches per That's minute. That's got to be. <laughs> it's got to be inches. Maybe it's inches per minute. Yeah, that'd be like yeah. a damn baseball rolling through Ooh. there. <laughs> and, and you, if you turn that thing all the way up, you you put a, a 10-foot board in, you better be running around the other side of the saw or the, the, the planer because it just spits the thing out. Wow. Um, I When I use it, because I mostly work alone, I'm putting it down to like a quarter speed. And I still... Yeah have trouble getting around there fast enough to, to pick the board up. 
Uh, but it's wonderful. It's all electronic. And that's where I use something like that, where it's got electronic stuff. That's where I really use metric. Because yeah. when I try to say, you know, I've got to make it four and five sixteenths. I don't know how to do that in a decimal system. I could, yeah. but I don't want to even think about it. Yeah. So I just convert it to metric real quick. I've got a ruler with a slide on it. One side's metric and the other side is imperial. I just move the stop over and I go, okay, four and five sixteenths is this much. And that's what I punch into the machine and the bed moves up and down automatically and it's calibrated. It's, it's wonderful. Nice. So, do, so, uh, so maybe it's 75, itself, maybe it's 75 feet per minute. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But it's yeah. fast. It's That'd fast. be a foot a second. That may be. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's more really than fast. Foot, maybe, maybe it is a, a, foot a second, a, a foot per or 75 feet per maybe minute. Maybe it's 75 feet per second. I doubt it. No, that's, <laughs> that's actually what I put on my Instagram thing. When I post that, I put 75 IPS. I wonder if anybody's called me out on that. You're an idiot. Yeah, I am. But anyways, <laughs> that's pretty. We're, we're going to be getting a new wide belt sander that has two, you know, two uh, belts on it. And a 53-inch helical head. So we can take off an eighth inch of, at, a, at a pass and sand it <laughs> with two grits. Wait, so it's, it got a, it, it's, a, it's like a planer and a sander all in yes, one? Yes, it's got a 53-inch helical wow. head on it. Oh, my goodness. And then two belts behind it. So you can take off. An eighth of an inch. On a tabletop. On a tabletop, 53 yeah. inch wide, or a slab, and sand Jeez. it at one pass. Yeah. Are you guys doing a... Uh, yeah, you guys are doing a lot of slab work, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That machine costs as much as a house. <laughs> it's really super expensive. I'm glad I didn't have to buy it. Yeah. Anyway, so... I think that's going to do it. I could go on like this forever, but nobody wants me to do that. <laughs> so we'd like to thank everybody that left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us out in the search rankings. And of course, we do appreciate the support and feedback. So please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community, which is you guys out there listening. So if you have woodworking questions you'd like answered, you can send it through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And you can find me on everything. Just search Guy's Woodshop. And where can you be found, We Alabamawoodworker.com. And just search there and you'll be able to find my social media sites. Sean? Sean? Simplecove.com at Simplecove on the social media. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. That was a, was a good good episode i enjoyed that yeah yeah thank you and uh we will talk to you later see you talk to you later bye